Things that the girls did. This is too loud. Things that the girls did in um, Romania were entirely different from what I did because Costell had organised in every village that we went to that somebody in the church would go round to the neighbours that they had been speaking to about Jesus and organise for this foreign guy, this pastor from England, to come and speak to them. So all the time the ladies were doing their children's work, I was walking with somebody or other and an interpreter around the village and visiting people's homes. The scripture says, uh, makes a promise actually that one day everybody would live or have his own vine. Well, in Romania they do. And uh, I can tell you the temperatures were like furnace some days. Um, and while the ladies did all their work outdoors and had to find shade somewhere, I went inside the, 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 the homes and we sat under the vines and picked off the grapes. But the thing I loved most about it was, um, well, first of all, it was, it was organized, so we knew where we were going, but we didn't get to everybody. And, but no, Costell, because he was otherwise engaged because of the accident, wasn't with us. So nobody really introduced me when we got there. So I had to find a way of, of introducing. I said, and this is what I said. I said, um, well, you know Costell, I've been coming here for 25 years and I've known him for about 20 years and I've uh, been coming back to help him regularly. Um, but he only ever asked me to do one thing, and that's talk about Jesus. Is that okay? And everybody said yes, because they have an orthodox background. We have a secular background. You try talking about Jesus here, but they have an orthodox background. And although I could tell you hairy stories of the medieval nature of current orthodoxy in the, in the area that we were working in, they all knew about Jesus and were willing to talk about him. What they didn't know was the way of salvation. Uh, one woman, when we were talking about the almost medieval practices that they have to perform at a wedding, like putting out food for the dead to help them on their way and things like that, one woman said, yes, we agree, it's all very silly, but we have to do it so that the priest would eventually read out their name and get them into heaven. Well, that's scarcely believable, is it? So all their hope is in the tradition and the power of the priest. And they know about Jesus, but they don't know about salvation. So I talked about Jesus. And there's nothing I love doing more. And you know, I found it easier to do that there than I do in England. And I even wondered whether if we asked you to go around people that you know, with whom you've shared Christ, could we then ask Costell to go to those houses and freely talk about Jesus? It's a different kind of society and an entirely different culture. So this morning I just want to talk about Jesus. I want to remind us why we're here. And uh, there's a statement uh, that Paul made to Timothy. I won't read the whole passage, but he says this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul speaking there of himself. I'm going to repeat it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. It's difficult to preach that message in our country, uh, because when was the last time you regularly heard from any preacher 
and you might want to include me here, talk of sin. That there is a right way to live and a wrong way to live and that God is the arbiter of right and wrong. And when do you hear that spoken of in our society? And in our society, it's almost as though the Beatles have presented us with, with the cover-all philosophy of all you need is love. But in our society, nobody says how that love is to express itself or what its boundaries are or what may be loved and what may not be loved. No, all you need is love. So, frankly, actually, anything goes. So, who knows they need Jesus? Who knows they need salvation? Who even cares about it, generally speaking? There's a lot of groundwork to do for us if we want people to know Christ. A man came to Christ in the open air last Sunday. Hallelujah. When was the last time somebody came to Christ in our church? And I'm a preacher, so look at me and ask me too. This is what I told people about Jesus. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And the scripture says that all have sinned all have come short of the glory of God. All need this salvation. In our country, everything is up for grabs when it comes to theology. How many people have actually, these days, virtually dismissed the idea of God's judgment? Or that although we put child molesters in prison in our country, perhaps deny that God would put people into prison who've denied his eternal laws. That there may, that there's no hell or judgment anymore. So what are we scared of? What is there to be saved from? Let me ask you a question. If Jesus Christ came to save sinners, why was it so important for Jesus Christ to come if there was no judgment and God is so merciful that somehow or another he'll let everybody under the rod if there's no outcome for sin, if there's no punishment, God being just and the one being punished says, God, now I see you eye to eye. You're right. You're just. I'm guilty. Christ came to ransom us because we need to be ransomed from the works of the devil and the sin of our own lives because our situation is precarious otherwise, perilous. And Peter says Christ descended into hell for us. Whose place did he take if there's no... You see what I'm... Do you hear what I'm saying? Why would God send his own eternal son to be crucified on a cross if there was no danger... Why would Jesus willingly take that 
if it was all just a fantasy of the 21st century. I told them the story of the leper. We've heard this recently. Marky stood here and preached it too. But here's some things that Marky didn't say on the day. A leper was supposed by religious law to put his hand over his lip and shout, unclean, as he came into any group or community. It was because if he touched anybody, if I am a leper and I'm touching Pete, Pete has now become ritually unclean. There's a series of religious laws that Pete has to go through before he's considered clean again. And so he lifted up his hand over his lip and shouted unclean so people could get out of the way, grab their children. There was even local bylaws which suggested that uh, men, if he came nearer than I am now to you, <laughs> six feet away, I could throw a stone at you. That was a bylaw, not a religious law. But this leper, we don't hear that he lifted up his hand or shouted unclean. We hear that he pushed his way through the crowd and fell at Jesus' feet. Now then, let's use our inspired imagination, shall we? You are the crowd. You know all about lepers. You know about the religious law. You don't want to be ritually unclean. You've got your children there. You're listening to Jesus. And this man pushes his way through. What are you going to do? You're going to grab your children. You're going to scream. There's going to be controversy going on. Men are going to be cursing this man. Some of them are picking up stones. And other people go, ah, he touched me. And this man falls at Jesus' feet. So... Here's this holy man, this prophet, and the first thing he's going to do anyway, isn't he, say, you filthy man, how dare you break the law? Don't you know you've now made all these people richly unclean? And you expect me to help you? But he didn't say that. We're told that he reached down and touched him and lifted him up. Now, you're the crowd, and you know the implications of this. He has now deliberately accepted ritual uncleanness. He says to the man, what do you want me to do for you? And the man says, I want to be clean. And Jesus says, be clean. So here is this holy man whom we now recognize to be the Son of God, who has become ritually unclean, but in becoming ritually unclean, the other man's flesh is cleansed. Isn't that incredible? The holy one becomes unclean. The unclean one becomes fresh like a baby. See, that's what Jesus did on the cross. <coughs> that's what it's all about. We're told that Christ died for our sins, the just for the unjust. And he became filthy with our condemnation, a mess, in order to release us from that sin and its power and bring us freely to God who says, I want to welcome you. Accept, my son, what he's done for you. Change your heart. Let him give you a new spirit. Welcome. Isn't that amazing? Well, how about the woman with the flow of blood? This is embarrassing. I've sometimes been embarrassed even to talk about this, especially in Romania. 
but Jesus is now in a crowd, a different occasion, and he's walking quite fast towards the man whose daughter is very ill and actually dying. And the crowd are pressing all around Jesus. Everyone is bumping him on his way. And then a woman comes up to the crowd who has an inhibiting, a humiliating illness, a flow of blood which hasn't ceased for about 12 years. Everything she sits on is unclean. Everyone she touches is unclean. The home she lives in is unclean. What's the likelihood that somehow or another her family have left her and only communicate if they do at all from a distance? And this poor humiliated woman has spent all her substance, we're told by the scripture, on doctors in the hope that they can help her and mend her and nobody's been able to do it. And now she hears about this holy man, this Jesus from Nazareth. If only I touch the hem of his cloak, I shall be clean. But she's not going to tell anybody her condition, is she? Because she's going to be pushed away, held at arm's distance. So she comes pushing through the crowd too and just manages to touch the hem of his garment and then stands still and the crowd moving with Jesus moves past her as she slowly moves back. But inside herself she feels that power has come out from Jesus and suddenly feeling within herself that somehow the flow has stopped, she's been cleansed, she's released and now she can go home and, and just scream for delight. Except she can't the crowd stops and Jesus says someone touched me <gasps> I'm exposed someone touched me oh his disciples mock him of course they did. everybody's touching you can't you don't be no somebody touched me in a special way and this woman now being found out in front of this whole crowd has to speak out about her own humiliation and the stigma which is attached to her all this time. And Jesus listens to this woman and says, with the voice of the Heavenly Father speaking through him, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. And in front of this whole crowd, Jesus removes the stigma that has dogged her for 12 years, publicly liberated. But she touched him, and he became ritually unclean. But she became clean and was liberated from the guilt and the sickness and the stigma of what had gone on in her life. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He is the saviour of the world. And until people know that, there is no hope for them. And you and I are the sharers of that. Hasn't that what Jesus has done for us? Or perhaps you didn't know that he'd removed your guilt. A Christian counsellor writing a book says a high percentage of the people who come to him who are Christians, their issue is guilt. 
So I want you to know that when Christ died on the cross, the just one became unclean with your guilt and mine, your sin, your perceived filthiness, everything that you did and have done against God or your neighbor, he took on the guilt. He accepted the stigma. The Holy One became filthy with our sin to relieve us of it. And if you have trusted in Jesus, you must know that you're forgiven. And the stigma of your sin, you must know that he says to you, you can go in peace now. God accepts you. You are relieved. You are welcome in the holy habitations. Christ welcomes you. Now this is such good news, isn't it? If only people understood that they needed it, can you imagine anyone in their right mind wanting to refuse it? But they don't even know the gift is there. And in our country, they don't even know that it's needed. God, help us. In Romania, they want me to go back for five weeks next year. I have to talk to our leadership and I have to talk to you about that. <coughs> Can you understand why I'm so keen to go back? Because they want to hear about Jesus. And there's no greater name. What is it? We used to sing a hymn. We don't sing it now. Um, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. And that's sweet in my ear. But we've forgotten to sing it anymore. Or have we?